Welcome to For 10 Points, the best podcast on the web for everything Quiz Bowl related. Whether you're a player, a coach, or just trying to improve, we can help you get better. I'm your host, Ken Romeo, and with me, as always, is my co-coach, Andrew Turiago. Andrew, Happy New Year, brother. Happy New Year, Ken. Great to be here. Uh, 2020, you know, the year of clear vision. Year uh, of hindsight. Uh, absolutely. Year of... Uh, seeing things as they are. So uh, I have to ask, do you have any New Year's resolutions? Uh, I have a little chart in my room, uh, and it's kind of like my New Year's uh, tracker, and I track three things I track. Working Still out. the New Year. Okay, check. I'll yeah. check again tomorrow. Okay. Uh, I track uh, reading every day, writing every day, and working out. Uh, and uh, usually Sundays, I can hit the Triple Crown, do all three. Nice. But uh, I try to do at least one a day. I, I know you were... Uh, you were telling me before that you're interested in reading a short story yeah every i try day. to read a short story almost every day like uh next up uh on the list is like occurrence at owl creek bridge by ambrose beers mm -hmm. like i just read a uh, jumping frog of uh calaveras county uh you know uh, i just found a book that was like most famous short stories and i was like those come up in quiz bowl well, they absolutely do um and i appreciate you know mr t and i have uh, lunch the same period and so occasionally he'll come and he'll give me a little breakdown so i don't have to do the reading That's but true. i can still yeah. then uh get the questions college and, flashbacks probably for you ken man if if we were on a team like yeah. we could you know this would be a good way to improve as a team i gotta yeah, say absolutely uh which interestingly ken is a great segue uh very uncharacteristic of you uh, towards our topic today, which is getting better as a team. Before we get into that, uh, you know, we were at a tournament this weekend, and uh, we'd love to tell you all about that and the goings-on around the country. What do you say we take a look at the scoreboard? Sounds great. It's time to take a look around the country and dive into the tournament results that have been posted. Our first tournament uh, to look at is the TQBA Fort Worth Open Number Two. That is the Texas Quiz Bowl Association. It was held on Saturday, January 25th, 2020, and its location was the All Saints Episcopal School in Fort Worth, Texas. Their packet was MS33. Uh, so St. Mark's School of Texas B went 10-0 and took first place. They defeated their teammates on the A-team in the final round to claim the championship. Always love to see that, Ken. Uh, Nikki Nandipati of Green Hill A is the tournament's top scorer, and Nikki averaged over 100 points per game in the preliminary rounds and helped his team to a very impressive 8-1 record. The coach of St. Mark's is coached by Rebecca Jenkins and Paul Walker and assisted by Catherine Magruder and Greg Cook. So St. Mark's, very nice work this weekend. Uh, Middlesex was also busy this weekend. We are in Pennsylvania. We took our annual road trip. We traveled to the Mannheim Township uh, Middle School competition, which was held at Mannheim Township High School in Lancaster on uh, Saturday, January 25th. Uh, we heard MS33 and Middlesex A continued their undefeated season. They went 8-0 and and took first place. They defeated Warren Middle School from New Jersey in the semis uh, and Great Valley A in the finals to win their third tournament of the year. Warren ended up taking third place over Middlesex B. The top scorers in the preliminaries were Middlesex's seventh grader, Rajiv Pujara, um, who averaged over 70 points per game. But if you combine the prelims and the playoffs and consolation and all that stuff, uh, that honor actually goes to one of our sixth graders, who I think we mentioned in our last episode, Neve Segal from Middlesex D, who averaged 73.5 points per game. Hats off to Coach Missy Dahl of Mannheim Township High School, 
uh, she and her players, they ran a phenomenal tournament. And I just have to say, those uh, the players from uh, Mannheim who, who read and score kept, they were just so professional and polite. And uh, Missy, you do a great job running that program. Uh, our next tournament we'll take a look at is the Nevada State Championship, which was also held last Saturday, uh, January 25th, 2020. This was in Doral Academy, Red Rock, Las Vegas, Nevada. And its sponsor was the Las Vegas Quiz Bowl Alliance. Packet was IS191A. In the middle school division, the Meadows School from Las Vegas went 8-0, and they are your 2020 Nevada State Champions. They defeated Coral Eastgate from Henderson, Nevada in the last match, 375-10-250. Hmm. Meadows Ben Vinokur was the tournament's top middle school scorer who averaged over 92 points per game, and Meadows is coached by Gary Handley and Brian Siegel. Uh, the high school division played the same day. Uh, Ed W. Clark High School from Las Vegas took first place in high school. Okay, and some other results. Uh, Bloomington Junior High School uh, from Bloomington, Illinois, uh, wins the Franklin Middle School Invitational. Chambly A, uh, having a great season from Georgia. They win the Middle School Commerce Clause. North Gwinnett, River Trail A, and Creekland Cherokee finish 2, 3, and 4. Um, but total domination as Churchill A powers almost half the questions they hear and averages, Andrew, get this, over 26 points per bonus and routes to a flawless win at the Sacramento Winter. Their closest match, and I wouldn't even call this close, their closest match was a 465-195 drubbing over Challenger Strawberry Park A in the semifinals. Churchill finished second at Nationals last year uh, with a team of really strong eighth graders and um, and one seventh grader, and they are looked they are looking to make a deep run again. Yeah, this Churchill year. is uh, fighting on the beaches and the landing grounds and the fields and the streets, and they will continue to be fighting at Nationals for sure. You got the puns ready already, man. I That's do, great. Absolutely. That's great. So, Andrew, yeah, I remember the run Churchill went on last year, and uh, one of the most impressive things about watching that team play was when they were on a bonus. You know, I mentioned 26 points per bonus. When they were on a bonus, uh, it seemed like the the four of them in unison would give an answer, like the same correct answer at the same time. So, you know, all four of them were so well-versed in so many things. Um, but when there was a discussion to be had, I always found that the discussions that they had were all very focused. Uh, words were chosen very deliberately, um, and it, it, they just made very efficient use of that, of those five seconds uh, that they had. Um, and you know, and it seems like they're obviously on the same kind of run again this year. So, you know, in, in previous episodes, we talked about how to improve as a player and as to, an individual. Yes. As one person. Right. And and today we're going to try to help you and your team improve as a team. So uh, this conversation really has been a long time coming. Uh, I It started with a book that I read about a year or two ago uh, called The Talent Code by Daniel Coyle. And in that book, what he does is he looks at a couple places around the world, a couple of institutions around the world, where people who are unusually talented and unusually skilled uh, come out of those places. And his theory is that there are specific things that are propelling them to be so good uh, and specific things that are causing them to be far more exceptional than the people around them. So like, t talents like what? Uh, so, for example, he, he takes a look at uh, Brazil and uh, how so many talented soccer players are coming out of Brazil. Uh, and I'll get to what he figured out in a little bit, but uh, to say the least, he's found that in each of these places, there is a specific reason that uh, the people coming out of these places are so talented. Uh, and 
I think there are a couple things there that we can apply to quiz bowls. So that's what we're going to do today. Awesome. Um, so, you know, if you are a coach or if you're a young player and you're noticing that, um, you know, there are some other young players, you know, great uh, kids in your grade. So if you're a sixth grader, if you're a coach and you see you have a, a group of good sixth graders, uh, you can the th- tell the good ones because they show up to both the morning practices and the afternoon practices, according yeah, to Mrs. Ivy. Right. And, and you know, for, for your program, if you don't practice twice a day, you know the good ones. They not only have the statistics to back it up, but uh, they are the ones that seem to practice a lot on their own. And, and you know, when you tell them, like, hey, you got to, you know, you got to study this. Like, here, take this book. And, uh, and they're always, you know, looking for more. They're always looking to improve. I know there's any, a, a temptation to take some of your younger players and have them play up on your best teams. And I, and I get that. You know, last year we had a sixth grader play on the A team mm-hmm. because he he really was at that level. Um, and he also filled a hole, uh, you know, a geography expert on a team that, that needed a geography expert. But uh, this year we have a group of sixth graders that are all very strong mm-hmm. and we are going to do our best to keep them together mm-hmm. so that they... You know, they, they they learn as a group. They, they can work with each other. So without naming names, I believe that in two years, uh, some of the sixth graders out of Middlesex have a very serious shot at first place at the national championship. No pressure. If you are at nationals this year and you recognize me, I will be there coaching that team of sixth graders. Uh, they have qualified for nationals. They will be there. Uh, they'll get at least those two nationals runs in for sixth grade and seventh grade before they uh, have their real at bat uh, in eighth grade. And I think that's one of the biggest things that's going to lead to their success is that that squad, maybe with some small changes, uh, will hopefully be playing together uh, for all three years. So, I mean, it seems kind of obvious, but but tell me why, you know, keeping a group together is going to be so beneficial. Mm-hmm. So uh, the analogy here that I always think about is um, if you uh, are a big fan of professional soccer, a lot of these players that have been playing um, for almost their entire lives with the goal of of recruiting and making it through the entire process of uh, joining a professional team, they've been playing together with other excellent youths playing soccer for their entire life. And it's not surprising that when they recruit one or two of those people, they recruit four or five of those people. Right. Because if I can pass to someone that I've been passing to for 10 years, it's going to be smooth. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be just like we practiced it for the last 365 days times 10, uh, 3,650 days. And there's a lot of benefit to having a familiarity with the people that you're playing with. So, so you're saying that there can be some chemistry on a quiz bowl team. Absolutely. Uh, and if you want to see the opposite, there are definitely quiz bowl teams that uh, – have uh, some reverse chemistry where maybe kind of a, a negative reaction. What, what would that look like? Uh, so what I see more often uh, for teams that are maybe just thrown together at the last minute, teams that just are all high scores together, is um, team teammates getting angry at each other when they vulch. Hmm. Uh, teammates getting angry at each other when... Um, well, when they neg. Yeah. Yeah, when they neg, yeah. hey, you know, if I'm the geography expert and you neg a geography question, yeah, yeah, I'm no, going to get you, mad you at you. You knew I was supposed to know that. Right. Why right. would you buzz well, in? Why would you buzz in? Right. Why would you, how do you have the audacity right. to think that you're going to get the geography question? Uh, and so I see a lot of teams where they'll kind of squabble like that. Uh, and, you know, sometimes that's positive. You know, you have two geography players on a really high high-level team. But more often than not, those sort of conversations get ironed out with 
players that have played together for a long time. Right. Um, I think you gave me a great example the other day where you mentioned that uh, one of our best players uh, said that he didn't have to feel so aggressive because he knew that his teammate, he knew what his teammate knew. Right. And he knew that he could rely on his teammate. And Yeah, to, to g- go a little bit more in detail, there was a, a question about, um, I think it was history related. And our player is fairly well versed in history. And when he was hearing the question, in his mind, he was about 50 to 60% sure it was one thing. But because he had so much trust in his teammate, he said, okay, I'm going to wait just a little bit more until I'm sure because I have a, I have a, I have a feeling that my teammate who really knows this stuff is going to get it uh, in, in a clue or two. And then my 50 to 60% will be trumped by his, his 100%. So in order to improve as a team, one of the best things that you can do early on is, is try out a lot of different squads of four, having them play together, seeing some early chemistry, uh, and then once you figure out a squad of four that starts to look pretty good, has some good results, you can kind of have them play together as much as you possibly can. Right. Uh, and so for team composition, that sort of thing, those players, having played with each other for an extended amount of time, they can start to fill in the gaps, right? Uh, so if you have, let's say you were locked in. Let's say you had to sign up for nationals three years in advance. If you had to sign up for nationals three years in advance with that team, there would be a lot less discussions about well, you know, we're a little weak with music. Instead, it would be, who's going to learn music? Right. Because this is our squad. This is who we're going into battle with. And, you know, if this is who we've got, then we need to fill this hole. And we know that this exists because every time a music question comes up, we all kind of groan a little bit and look at each other and say, that's a weakness. Yeah, so so as a coach, um, very rarely do I have an idea of what a, a team is going to look like at the end of the year early in the year and so I do use the first two tournaments to kind of mix and match and kind of see and obviously you want to balance your team out you don't want all four of your players to be lit experts um, and you don't want uh, you don't want to leave something out like like a science so you do want to balance things out but at some point I make the decision this is the this is going to be the team and I don't even really entertain the idea of moving people in and out because of what you're saying. We need that synergy. We need that chemistry. And if there is a weakness, if there really is, well, you know, the you, you left this player off and there's your art expert or there's your history, your um, your music expert. As you said, I'm going to have one of those top 18 players mm-hmm. fill in the Just gap. pick up the ball, right? Sure. Uh, so the, the our first piece of advice, and if you want to get better as a team, is to think about your team composition. I think this is something that a lot of uh, programs kind of take for granted. They they might think that uh, putting their all their eighth graders together is a great thing. Uh, they might think that putting together all their highest scorers just you know from first to fourth is going to be a great thing. And I would say uh, you you can go one level beyond that, right? You can notice that there are uh, teammates that work well with each other that support each other. Um, some of the the best quizable players I've ever had the pleasure of watching are those that really support their teammates. And when I notice that one player negs and the player right next to him goes, it's fine. I knew that you knew that. And I knew that you just said the wrong thing. And I knew that you will get the next one. Uh, that shows me that that's a really strong team. Right. Uh, so if part one of getting better as a team is thinking about your team composition, part two is really uh, doing the strength training, do the conditioning. Uh, and for this, I have to go into a little bit of an anecdote, if you don't mind, Ken. Please. Uh, so what a lot of coaches from outside of Brazil, 
started to notice uh, when they were looking at soccer professionals was that for some reason, all of these Brazilian players were way better than the rest of the players. Uh, and this was to the point, Ken, where there were actually uh, British and Australian scouts that flew to Brazil just to look around and see what exactly was it that was causing these players to be so good. Uh, and they actually made it a singular discovery that, that explained all of this, which is uh, they played a variation of soccer called futsal, F-U-T-S-A-L. And it was an indoor soccer type game, but it wasn't soccer. Uh, so they, you might say, well, you know, is playing ping pong going to make you better at tennis? You know, is playing pickleball going to make you better at tennis? Uh, but in this case, the the weird the weirdness of futsal translated perfectly into um, like full field soccer. And so, so, so yeah, what is what is futsal? Yeah, so it's it's played with a a much heavier, denser, smaller ball, uh, and it's played uh, indoors with a, a small court, and uh, I think it's around six players that rotate positions. So you're constantly rotating. Uh, you have these players that are all up in your face because you know you're on a small court uh, and you've got this ball that gives you little to no ability to to handle it hmm. so uh what they found was that players who played futsal they they had uh six times more ball count contact than players who were playing soccer because you have a massive field if someone runs up to you you can just punt the ball away and then maybe that's kind of a, a defensive thing on this tiny court with five people around you there's almost nothing you can do that will let you really get the ball away from the other person besides like dodging and weaving and doing all of those things that the absolute top level soccer players do. So they found that if we, you know, kind of transplant this game and we bring it to Australia and we bring it to England, they found that their soccer players suddenly got way better. And they found that they were actually able to point out the differences between professional players who had a background in this second game uh, and players who who didn't. And the players that had a background in futsal were able to just dodge and weave and do all of the really spectacular soccer moves that uh, the other players couldn't uh, because w as soon as you brought them to that massive soccer field and they had that large softball and they had, you know, 10 yards between them and the next closest player, they felt like they were playing uh, on, a, on an arena. They felt like there was absolutely no chance that the other person could take the ball from them because they were used to playing so up close and in such more difficult conditions that as soon as they were put in easier conditions, they kind of were able to really thrive and flourish. You, you know what it sounds like um, growing up, and I'm still a baseball fan, but I know a lot of players that grew up in the Dominican Republic You know, don't have these um, you know, really expensive gloves and bats and so they would use a like an, an old milk carton, and that's how they'd field field a baseball with a milk carton, and you know they'd have broomsticks as bats, and then when you give them a much bigger bat and a in a fancy glove, yeah. that's easy. Uh, <laughs> titanium reinforced bats, and you know like sure. beautifully stitched leather gloves. Suddenly they're like perfect. Right, right. Uh, so what would be the quiz bowl equivalent of futsal? So I believe uh, it's something that we're starting to do, and something that uh, Ken, you and I have admitted that. Uh, we uh, we feel like is a really strong move, uh, and something that we're doing this year is is having kids play with much more difficult packets and questions. Right, uh, having kids play with IS questions and ISA questions, uh, and I see the response from the students when they move from reading and practicing to IS questions and ISA questions, which they do almost every morning, uh, to 
going to an actual middle school tournament and hearing middle school level questions, uh, they're they're often surprised at at what the answer is. They're like they're just looking for water. Yeah, as the answer to this they, question, they're looking for a country. It can't possibly be the United States, but yeah. Uh, so it's it's overtraining, right? I think the kids are more prepared than they need to be. There's definitely uh, subjects and categories that they will never need to know that are on high school packets. Um, well, they will when they get to high school. They though. will when they get to high school. Uh, but the idea is that the the depth of the questions that they're asking. Um, for example, if they're asking about magnetism, uh, the magnetism and electricity, the very last part of that question might barely mention Maxwell versus like in a middle school question, Maxwell might be like a power clue. Right. So you're, you're working out with much more difficult material uh, and they're used to having almost nothing to work with to the point where there are a couple of times where uh, a poet or a uh, author has come up and it doesn't mention like their most famous work mm-hmm. or their second or third most famous work. It only mentions like three obscure works by them. And I have to say, yeah, they, they also wrote, uh, you know, uh, I saw a little fellow in the grass, you know, I also Dickinson. Uh, so I think that reading these questions and having them practice with more difficult, a little bit more obscure material is something that really is preparing them well to play at these MS tournaments. I would also say, you know, something like where you're just reading the the part of the clue in power mm-hmm. and you're stopping at that and, you know, you might give them a couple seconds to answer at that point. Um, uh, the other thing that comes to mind is if you're reading a bonus, you know, bonuses for the most part are structured where one is easiest, one's medium and one's hard, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe just reading the difficult one and then having the kids kind of brainstorm as a group what they think the other two answers might be. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work with every single bonus, but, you know, you can you can imagine if there's something where you have to name a character, the novel and the author, like th- that, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so so they're, they are working together and, and they are making it more challenging. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's great that you bring up bonuses, Ken, because I actually feel that the strength of a team's points per bonus really relates to the strength of a team. I think there's a really strong correlation there um, because I think that what teams are doing during bonuses, if they're they're really excellent teams, is they're having those conversations uh, and they're, I almost see it at the highest level of competition that when they say, you know, bonus for 10 points, uh, answer these three things. It's a time where the players are kind of relaxing and really leaning on each other rather than just giving themselves a headache and worrying about the answer and having it be an individual sport. Uh, every single time I'm at Nationals, every single time I see a team that I'm really excited about, they are arguing and debating during bonuses. They are sharing their information. They're saying, well, they said this, so that I know that's a senator from this state. Like, didn't he run for president in 2008? You know, like, they, they are sharing what little information that they do know, even if they don't necessarily know the answer. And... I think they're able to kind of cobble together a best guess the same way that almost like Watson, the IBM supercomputer does where it just Googles it and then looks at what people are saying. Um, And I think the best, the best teams are just arguing and debating. And uh, on the flip side, I see a lot of newer teams, especially uh, sixth graders who are brand new to quiz bowl and they treat bonuses almost the same as they treat toss ups. Yeah. If if they don't know anything, they're not going to say anything. Yeah. Right. Uh, Or if they think they don't know anything, then they're not going to say anything. And they, after you say, well, the answer was, uh, you know, Australia, they go, oh, I knew that. And then their teammates look at them and they're like, 
why didn't you say anything? And they're like, well, I didn't think I knew it. I didn't, I didn't know that I knew it. And the idea during a bonus is that you should feel comfortable saying things that you're pretty sure are right, or maybe you just have an idea, maybe you just have a guess. And if you have four people doing that, your chances of getting a right answer skyrocket astronomically. And, and I'll also say, you know, in, in tournaments where there, the bonuses don't bounce back, and I know, you know, there are some around the country where that, where that happens, the academic being bowl bonuses bounce back. But if they don't bounce back, why are you whispering? Yeah. <laughs> you should be talking very loud. Right, right. Yeah. You know, like you obviously don't just want to talk to hear the sound of your own voice because you'll be talking over people that... Or you'll, are, or you'll record a podcast. Right. Um, but as teams work together, you know, they get a sense of when someone says something, whether they're saying it with authority, whether they're saying it with confidence, or whether they are just saying it to get an idea out there. And um, so if you're a, a captain of a team and you know this person really doesn't say too much in bonuses, but all of a sudden they're coming out like, and they know that it's- Programming it's, language, I'm sure. Yeah, right? Or you know, it's Stonewall Jackson. All right, if he said it, it must be right. Yeah. Stonewall Jackson. We had a we had a girl on our team last year uh, who was like that, who really didn't say much, but but when she did, you, why are we arguing? Tabby said this. It has to yeah, be this, exactly. you know. Um, and it came from the fact that 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 team worked together often, mm-hmm. you know, and they just they they knew. All right, when when Tabby says this, the answer is this, and we're just going to go with it. Yeah, there's actually a great. Um, let me see if I can find it really quick. Uh, there's a great, um, wow. Nothing like listening to a podcast where someone's looking things up on the internet. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so it's, it's interesting. It's actually called, uh, bouncyballs.org. Okay. What it is, is a, uh, a decibel volume, like approximator as people are talking, uh, you'll see like all the, the shapes bouncing around on screen. Uh, and it'll, it'll kind of be a, a, a good measure of how loudly people are talking. And uh, Ken's watching. I'm I'm mesmerized by the Ken's bouncing balls. Ken's watching them all bounce right now. Yep, uh, they are. So bouncyballs.org. And a good practice that you can do is like, hey, it's a bonus. Like, make sure that your talking is causing some sort of a, a re- reaction. Otherwise, you're whispering. Otherwise, you're not being loud enough. Right? Oh my God, I'm going to show this to my four year old, and he's going to think it's the greatest thing it's, ever. He's going to think it's magic. I'm not. I take it back. I am not going to show this to my <laughs> four year old because he's just going to scream to make the the balls bounce yeah, as high as possible. Actually, that's actually well. If your team does that every bonus, then the other team will just be too intimidated to, to respond and answer. Mm. Uh, but the idea is that I, I think your team should be more aware of how much they are or are not talking. And uh, some sort of an external thing like this is a great uh, way to have players aware of the fact that, hey, you know when you just didn't weren't sure about that bonus? You guys just whispered about, like, not very much information for, like, three seconds and then just went with your best guess instead of saying, is it Washington or is it Jefferson? Or was it, you know, John Adams? And then say, oh, I think it's this one because of this. Well, it, it's mentioned in Hamilton. Okay. Well, then it's got to be that. Okay, John Adams. Yeah. That's the sort of productive conversation that, you know, if you know that that one girl on your team has seen Hamilton three times, uh, th- there's no question there. Right? right. And even though she didn't know the answer, someone else may be saying, well, is it John Adams? Like jogged her memory. Right. All of you are a unit working together. It's 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 for me in Quiz Bowl. It, I love watching other teams use bonuses because even if there is a really clear captain, which a lot of strong teams have. Uh, it's the other three players all shouting at the captain and the captain kind of 
processing the information, just kind of acting as the mouthpiece for the team. So uh, another piece of advice, though, if you are a captain um, or if you're you're coaching, something to tell your captain. Or if you just want to improve. Or you just want to improve. Uh, you know, maybe you do have one of those bonuses where people really aren't speaking up, but somebody offers you something. Mm-hmm. I can't. I, I I just don't understand. It's always a, a you know teachable moment for for new players when they're a captain for the first time. And so I asked the bonus, and and I, no one's saying anything. But one kid says, I don't know, Picasso. It, and then the captain just refuses to give an answer, and it turns out that it's Picasso. And I'm just like, why? Why wouldn't you go with yeah. that? You had nothing. Somebody gave you a lifeline, yeah. and you're like. Nah, I'd rather not take the. What are you doing? You yeah, know, yeah, it's not the SAT. Like leaving it blank doesn't get you any additional bonus. Right. So you know, take something that that your that your teammates are giving you. You know, you're going to be wrong if you say pass. I I, mm-hmm. I just don't I don't get that mentality. But you know that happens once and then usually doesn't happen again because they learn. What's the yeah. point? What's the point of of yeah. punting on that? And you know they so they sometimes learn to just say Smith or just no, guess that. something that no, I uh, don't like that could be true but you're going to get so many more points by guessing something topical and right. relevant if they say painter say Picasso if they say you know a uh, musician say Yo-Yo Ma or Beethoven or maybe if they say characters from 1984 then you can yeah. go Smith or maybe if they say you know founders of the Mormon religion yeah. then you can say Smith yeah. but yeah so um what else can you know, so they're practicing on a on a high level. Um, you know, they're they're practicing together a lot. You know, as often as possible. Andrew, what other pieces of advice do you have for teams that are looking to gel? Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I think teams need to learn how to do in order to be really great is become aware of what their teammates know. Uh, I think one of the things that a lot of players will do is as they practice. They kind of are surprised that their teammate knows as much as they do, uh, or they'll say they'll start to kind of get an understanding of uh, of what their teammates know. But uh, I think one of the things that they can do is by spending time together outside of quiz bowl practice, by knowing that hey, this person is a a, a francophile and they visit Paris every year, that I feel really comfortable about this question asking about Napoleon. You know, uh, Jean Claude might get it. You know, like right. and they only really understand that and start to understand that a person is a whole person outside of Quiz Bowl when they spend time together outside of Quiz Bowl practice. Yeah, I mean, also just just building a camaraderie. You know, could you talk a little bit about uh, what one of our coaches, Lisa Peterson, does for our team? So, uh, Lisa um, was with our program for a while. Lisa Peterson is actually those of you that have played against Middlesex and and you know have, have shaken your fist at us once or twice. Um, Lisa Peterson is the real reason we have a quiz bowl team here. Um, about 11, 12 years ago, she decided that she wanted to get one of these buzzer systems for her classroom. And uh, in Middlesex, we have we, we team, you know, we have teams. And I was I was the math teacher on her team. And I said, I'll tell you what, Lisa, if you're going to buy one, I'll go in halvesies with you and I'll uh, uh, we, we can split it. And the following year, uh, I was no longer on a team with Lisa, but we still had this buzzer system. And I thought, you know what? I did this in middle school. Maybe I'll start a team here, and thus the Middlesex Quiz Bowl program was born. But um, but Lisa is is one of our uh, coaches, and uh, about once a month, um, she'll come up with a uh, just a team building game to start practice. And it's not easy because we do have you know fifty plus kids at practice, but but she's fantastic. She'll come up with these these 
you know, 15 minute at the most games just to, you know, regroup the kids so that they're not sitting with their friends and they're not sitting with you know people they're they're familiar with, and they work together to, on a on a towards a common goal and you know they learn each other's names. Like I, I can guarantee you, with with 50 plus kids, our kids still don't know everybody else on the mm-hmm. team, especially other people on other grades. Right. Um, so you know we need these games to kind of introduce each other and get them working together. Uh, you know, as a team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one of the other things that we've done uh, in past years that's been really good is that, uh, uh, you know, kids have gone on trips together. And I think uh, when kids spend time on the bus, they're making friends and they're learning about each other. When kids uh, go to a museum, you know, uh, they're learning about each other. Right. I I know um, funds aren't. Funds are tight. Funds are tight in every program, mm-hmm. all over the country, and um, and I I know you know we are very fortunate to have people who are very generous with their with their resources here in Darien, um, and that's not the case everywhere else. However, I, I I can't I can't stress enough the importance of these road trips that we take, <clears throat> not just to go and play a, a different packet and what have you, but uh, the kids love being on the bus. They love being at the hotel. They love it when we stop at these rest areas, and mm-hmm. um, and it is it's it is bonding. You know, there's a lot of bonding that that takes place uh, on these trips. Um, in prior years, we've had holiday parties for Halloween and uh, and uh, you know Christmas. Um, we've had end of year get-togethers at, at you know a pool party, stuff like that, because we want our kids to to come together and build some more camaraderie so that when you are playing with them and they do neg a question that you knew you knew, you can just look at him and say like, well, that's my friend. And he didn't do that to be a jerk. He did that because he thought he knew it. Mm -hmm. And he gave an answer that wasn't right. And I can see where, you know, why he thought that. And, you know, shame on me for not ringing in early, but hey, I'm going to tell this guy, it's okay, we'll, we'll get the next one. You know, so when you're playing a match and you neg the first two questions and the other team picks them up and you're down by 100 points after two questions, you know, you can turn to your teammates and say, that's OK. They're they're 18 more. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and we can do this um, because because I know we can because I've seen us all do this before that that team mentality just takes over. Yeah, I've seen uh, uh, Barbara Ivy say to, to kids before, uh, if you're you know, getting a little flustered by not getting a question or two, just control alt delete. Just consider yourself like having just dropped in to the room. Like, hey guys, you playing quiz bowl in here? Can I play? Let me join <laughs> in the next question. Oh, what's the score? Oh, it's uh two forty to zero. Oh, okay. What a uh, question we have? We're on question six. All right. Oh well, you know, I just got here, so let's get started. So, uh, so oh, I'm sorry, go into good. Yeah. So the idea is that uh, you know, just by treating the situation a little bit differently, by saying like, well, suddenly this is a uh, a game that I've just dropped into as opposed to I missed the first six questions and now I'm really frustrated and flustered that, you know, I missed the first six questions and, you know, the the kid on the other team gave me a little, you know, uh, smirk when he got that last one that I almost got uh, and, you know, I'm a little tilted. Uh, if you could just control delete and you have teammates that you can rely on, you can kind of look at each other. Maybe you can even know, have, and know and have the self-awareness to call a timeout when you need it. Uh, that's a That's a huge skill. Um, yeah, so we were, we were talking, I was talking with some of my players about calling timeouts and, um, and trying to do that strategically. Certainly you want to call a timeout if you notice your team is flustered a little bit. Um, our, our players, 
talk about how they like to call timeout to ice the other team. So the other team gets three or four questions in a row. They call timeout to try to break their momentum. It <clears throat> uh, doesn't work for good teams. It, it, it doesn't. And, you know, and I'll say I had. Unfortunately. Um, so th- three quick stories, if, if you will, um, from, from Nationals. Uh, one year we were playing against a team and the other team was on a roll. And I, I didn't call timeout. I probably should have in, in retrospect. Um, but I didn't. But the, the the moderators in the room needed to confer over something. So they had to stop the clock and, and talk with each other. It's and, like a functional timeout. Yes, exactly. And when they came back, uh, we went on a run. We came back and won the game. And the other coach was very upset that they slowed the momentum of the other mm-hmm. team. And, you know, turned to me and said, it's not you. It's not it's not your fault because you know, if you'd call timeout and this happened, I'd say, hey, good, good move. But you didn't do that. It was the moderators. And, um, you know, I really didn't listen to the rest of his protest. I just got my team out of there. And, you know, we, we regrouped in the hallway. Um, then a year or two later, I was in a situation where I the other team was on a run and I called timeout to slow their momentum. And it worked. Mm-hmm. And man, the coach of the other team was not happy with me. He, mm-hmm. he looked at that as poor sportsmanship. And you know what? If if you come across people like that, there's nothing you're going to do to change their mind. Yeah, I've been I've been coaching a team before, and you know we got three or four questions in a row, and it was a tight match. Maybe we're on the toss of 15, mm-hmm. and the other team called timeout. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly what you should do. Like, I'm not going to call timeout. We're, we're winning. Right. Let, let's keep this going. Uh, right. Hopefully they forget they have a timeout. And uh, so, uh, you know, after the match is over, like he, he commented about that being poor sportsmanship. And I respectfully disagreed, but I wasn't going to change this guy's mind. And mm-hmm. um, if if you look at the the this podcast as any sort of authority, you have our blessing to do yeah. this. We, we don't yeah, think absolutely. it's poor. If you do it to us, you can just say, well, right. I was just listening to episode nine. Right. Of, right. You, know, um, you, you have a timeout for a reason. And that, in, in my mind, is one of the reasons why you take the timeout. Um, but my, my favorite story when it comes to this was nationals two years ago when uh, we were in the playoffs we were in the losers bracket of the playoffs we lost we even though we had a bye we lost our first round and um you know time after time we would go on runs and the other team would try to ice us and we'd come back from the timeout and just power the next two questions and it just it just didn't work and um that was was, you know it was just a mark of a good team that year i really struggled with team composition and making sure I had the right people, the right personalities together, the right um, you know, the specialties together. And and by nationals, I think I had finally figured it out. And you can't argue with the results. My A team was fifth, tied for fifth. My B team was tied for eighth. Mm-hmm. And we, we we never had a one-two in the top ten before. So, mm-hmm. But that A team, man, they, the people tried to ice them and they just it just didn't phase them. And I think that had to do with the fact that they were just so comfortable playing with each other and um they were used to it they you know they, they were used to it um so mr t I guess the last thing we'll do uh is talk about practice and practicing um as a team mm-hmm. so what do you want to what do you want to say so, about that uh, i have two things which is i think that practice should as close to uh, or as close as possible as close as you can possibly get it uh, approximate the way that you're actually going to be playing so have your players sit the way that they usually like to sit Right? Have your players lined up the way that they usually like to line up. Um, if you happen to be playing in an area that uses a clock, or if you know that your team's going to nationals where there's a clock, uh, start practicing with that. I actually feel like that's something that uh, 
you know, is still a space that we have to grow. It's it's tough to have kids play with a clock. And uh, I actually had a, uh, I think it was our C team a couple of years ago. Uh, and in in nationals in the in the playoff brackets, they they ended up losing because the other team uh, used the clock very effectively and very intelligently to uh, time them out. And mm. they had a small lead. And our our team kind of looked at each other like, wow, we we've, we've never played with a clock before. And uh, I think it's a point of pride for me that in the consolation bracket, which they ended up winning, like the consolation tournament that they ended up winning, uh, in the finals they did the same thing. They, nice. they were, like five or six games later, they were like, "Oh yeah, this works. Right. This is great. Right. Like we now have a 120 point lead. Like, you know, bonus five, four, three, two, one. George Washington. Yes, that's correct. Like they were like, well, there's only a minute left. There's only 40 seconds left, and the other team was like. That's what we would have done if we had a lead, right? But you know, it just so happens that hey, with with one second left, you can actually defer to somebody to, to get yourself two <laughs> yeah. extra seconds. That's when you start to border on That's a little the bit pro of tip. Uh, yeah. deferred to uh, uh, George I for, Washington. I forget this guy's name over here, yeah. but we all love this guy. Yeah, uh, but the but beyond just the clock, there's also um, one other way to practice that we've we've had a little bit of success with. Uh, if you want to take it away. Uh, it is a. Uh, I don't know the. It doesn't have a proper name. I don't think yet. We've we've been calling it two-headed monster. Well, we're the dragons. Maybe we'll yeah, call it the two-headed dragon. Two-headed dragon. Sure. Uh, so it's two-headed dragon copyright TM. Uh, and the idea is that you have your usual squads, uh, four versus four or two versus two, whatever it is, uh, and you each player cannot buzz in for themselves. So you're playing your usual round of quiz bowl. It's toss-ups bonuses, um, but during a toss-up, a player cannot buzz in. And then also answer. When you buzz in for the toss-up, you must then indicate which of your team members knows it. So, for example, if Ken and I were on a team, and the question were saying something like, in this short story, a watch enveloped in cotton, Ken would then buzz in and say, Mr. T is always ranting about some literature stuff. I don't usually listen that often, but I'm pretty sure he knows this one. He would buzz in and then say, Mr. T, you got this one? And I would say it's The Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe, and I'd be correct. But the idea is that by doing this a couple of times, Ken will start to learn more about the depths of what I know. You know, he'll maybe uh, be a little bit overconfident about poetry and things like that and start to learn that, like, Whitman and Pride and Prejudice and Jane Eyre are kind of weaknesses of mine. Um, and he'll I'll also start to learn, like, hey, Ken knows a lot of math, like, even more than a usual math teacher knows. He knew that on like the third word, right? And I'll start to kind of explore the edges of what the other person would usually buzz at. And you, it's a great way for kids to get to know each other's skills and each other's talents. Yeah, and, and you know, you would debrief afterwards and, you know, you can debrief after a question and say, okay, so uh, they, so Andrew, they deferred to you and you answered it correctly. When did you actually know it? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you can let people know that, hey, this is actually the phrase that, that got it, you know, where, where I would know it. Um, but you're right. Uh, we we've played it a few times, and um, it's the kids love it. It's they, also a ton of fun. Yeah, it, it really is. And you you find who's really aggressive, who really trusts their teammates. Yeah. Uh, and you know some variations. So let's say you have one player that's markedly better than than everybody else. Um, maybe that player can only answer three three Five times. Yeah. Um, or, or maybe you you know you structure the teams. Uh, if you want to split them up a little bit, uh, you know, if you have your top two teams, you want to split them up a little bit uh, to, to even them out. Um, maybe you assign point values. Okay, well, if, you know, our best player answers it, it's worth 
10 points, but if you know one of our one younger of our players, or sixth graders gets yeah, it, if they, they answer it, then it's worth 15 no matter where it is. So, Ken, just to uh, put a nice bow on this, I think there's really four things that you can take away uh, that will make any program better uh, and any team better altogether uh, at Quiz Bowl. First thing would be uh, have your players play together as much as possible in uh, squads or teams that you imagine that they'll be able to play with at tournaments or at nationals. Uh, have them play a harder game. So have them practice with tougher questions. You know, like if if I was practicing for traditional Jeopardy, I would probably uh, want to use stuff from like the championship rounds and practice with that. Uh, if I was practicing for Teen Jeopardy, I'd probably use stuff from regular Jeopardy. And yeah, Teen, teen Jeopardy is way too easy. I, I hope they start making tougher questions because, you know, the, a lot of the Teen Jeopardy players are quiz bowl players and they, it's, the questions are just way too easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, kids should also spend time together outside of quiz bowl practice. The, the closer those friendships are and the, the more they are comfortable with their teammates, the, the better their camaraderie and their, their effectiveness is going to be. And then uh, the final point really is that uh, have your team – make more intelligent noise during bonuses. Uh, so there is that uh, that app that will track the number of decibels that your your players are making, but make sure that the decibels that they're, they're making are also intelligent additions to a conversation. Um, and th- they should definitely feel like, even if they can only contribute something like, hey, it's not this because of this reason, in that five seconds, that's a really great contribution that eventually leads to them getting a lot more points. Well, in order to answer bonus questions as a team, you need to ring in and get toss-up questions right. And in order to get toss-up questions right, you probably are going to have to power a few of them. And if you want to power them, you might want to listen to this episode's buzz phrase. The guys at For 10 Points want to help you answer for 15 points. Power a question with this episode's buzz phrase. This episode's buzz phrase comes from the 2011 Prison Bowl. Here's the question. Thomas De Quincey wrote an essay about the event that opens this play's Act 2, Scene 3. After Malcolm and Donald Bain flee, the title character hires three men to kill Fleance, but he escapes. The question goes on to mention the tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow soliloquy that occurs after Lady Macbeth's suicide, the defeat of the titular character at the hands of the Honorable Macduff, how the main character kills Duncan and becomes King of Scotland. Of course, we are looking for Macbeth. If you read the play, you might recognize the soliloquy or Duncan's children, Malcolm and Donald Bain, who flee, fearing that they are the next target. So if you want to power this question, you'll need to know a little bit about Thomas de Quincey. Thomas de Quincey was a 19th century English essayist. His most famous essay is called Confessions of an English Opium Eater where he details his life as a drug addict. But one of his other well-noted essays is titled On the Knocking at the Gate in Macbeth. At the close of Act 2, Scene 2, Macbeth had just murdered Duncan and becomes overwhelmed with a mixture of guilt, torment, and incredulity. As he worries about the consequences of his actions, a knock comes at the castle gate. It is Macduff and Lennox coming to see King Duncan. The third scene included the Castle Porter, the timely comic relief that Shakespeare is known for. Thomas de Quincey writes how on first encountering the scene as a young man, he felt an awfulness and a sense of solemnity that he couldn't rationally account for. De Quincey also references Macbeth in his later essay on murder considered as one of the fine arts. When it comes to a play like Macbeth, which is so widely studied, 
helps to know the smallest of details. Most serious quiz bowlers will be familiar with the ancillary characters and famous lines. So to gain an edge, take a clue like De Quincey and research it. So the next time you hear De Quincey and they're looking for a play, don't toil, no trouble, take a chance, buzz in, and say Macbeth. That was, uh, that was nothing to shake a spear at, Ken. You were researching that whole time. <laughs> well, see, the thing is that I know I, I know literature is usually the Donald Bain of your existence. Oh, so I'm so good. proud of you good. for that's doing a, a lit buzz phrase. All right. You know, I, I don't want to punish you too badly. Uh, so very nicely done. Is, is that is that what you got? That's what I've got. That was it. Donald Bain. It's the Donald Bain of your existence. Out, out, brief candle. All right. Uh, so thank you very much, everyone. This has been, for 10 points, the best podcast on the web for everything Quiz Bowl related. Uh, and hopefully, whether you're a player uh, or a coach or just trying to improve, we have helped you get better. I'm your host, Andrew Turiago, uh, signing off for Ken Romeo. Uh, see you all next time.